Recently, Beltway Park received a testimony from someone who walked with the person that received a gift, an automobile from our Beltway Garage Auto Ministry. And we wanted to share this testimony with you. Not even 20 years old, Sally, not her real name, has faced more challenges and barriers than most adults. Before middle school, her mother struggled with her mental health that then grew into heavy drug addiction. It was normal for the family to move between three houses in one school year. At one point, the family lived in their car. The children eventually came into CPS custody after their mother was incarcerated for a longer period of time. By that point, Sally had children of her own and was forced to move her and the children to another city. Her time in care was made more difficult as the pandemic set on. Throughout her time in care, she was moved to three different placements, all within two years. The last location she was unable to have her children due to the center's policy. This was the hardest challenge of all and eventually led to the removal of her children. The state of Texas was unable to provide safe and secure housing for Sally, in turn leaving Sally unable to provide safe and secure housing for her children. The last few months, Sally has worked tirelessly to find housing, maintain employment, work her services, and see her children. The process has been significantly slowed as she didn't have her driver's license and transportation. With every step forward, there were at least three steps back. She stated that hope seemed to be lost. During a hearing, Judge Probst requested that CPS put in a request in the care portal for a car for Sally. The courtroom was full of those cheering Sally on, and little did we know that the request would be filled within the month. Sally took driver's ed in August, waiting anxiously for tests to be available at the DMV, and eventually passed her test. We were ready to get the car. I spent the whole day with her that day, taking the driver's test, getting car insurance, finishing up her last requirements for high school graduation, and even applying for college. When William handed her those keys, I finally saw the spark of hope come back. Years of hardship, endless struggles, forced independence and isolation. Sally was shown that she mattered, that she was worthy of help, and that we all knew she would succeed. I've known Sally for over five years now. I've worked with endless resources and nonprofits to surround her with support. Never have I been so moved by the gift we were given. So both of us, we know that that car is the key to a better life. She finally has a win and believes that she can and will succeed. Thank you to the entire Beltway congregation for answering God's call to love all people. Thank you for being His hands and feet and shining His light. Come on, Beltway Park. That's not, is that not incredible? I mean, the fact that we get to be part of story after story like that, being all around us, whether you're our physical campuses or our online family, there's a story of God working among us, and we get to be a part of giving hope and giving the possibility of life to people through Jesus Christ. Here's my question for you. Did that story make you happy? It's not a trick question. Not hard. Did it make you joyful? So let that sink in for a moment, because I believe our answer to that reveals a truth to us. 
a truth that is often missing, not just in our society, but missing in the church. See, for much of the fall, we've been on a journey. We've been calling it flipping the script. The reality is through the pandemic, we've discovered that mental health has been waning in a lot of people. But that is not the desire of Jesus for our lives. He wants us to walk increasingly with the mind of Christ, to walk in the strength, the peace, the health that Christ alone can bring. So we went through a journey of recognizing our thoughts, recognizing lies that we might be, uh, might be believing and replacing them with the truths of Jesus that lead to abundant life. But we also learned through the process that flipping the script isn't a six-week process. You don't like do it for six weeks, get your t-shirt, get your book, go through the group, and all that, and then you're done. Flipping the script is a lifelong process where we are asking God to reveal to us what's going on in our mind what lies we are believing, what truths we're holding on to. Maybe there's strongholds up there, and we're asking God to reveal things to us so that we can walk increasingly in the truth because the truth of Jesus sets us free. See, every one of us want to walk in the rest and peace Jesus has for us that comes in our mind, but there is a struggle. You see, as we tell God, hey, God, I want you to flip the script in my mind, God actually takes us at our word. Sometimes, often, he wants to address issues in our mind we don't want him to address. You know what I'm saying, don't you? I mean, when it comes down to it, I want God to flip the script on the things I want him to flip the script on. But there are other areas of my life that I do not want him to tackle at all. But if we want to have the life and peace that Jesus has for us, if we want to have the peace of God, we've got to allow him to address the lies we are believing in every arena of our life. Say every. If we really mean it, we have to let him address the areas where we do not want him to address. So what I sense the Lord wanted us to do for three weeks is to take the principles we learned in flipping the script. So even if you weren't here during that series, it's not going to matter. You can participate. You can be a part of it. I would encourage you to flip the script is worth going back on and really engaging if you weren't here. But I sense the Lord wanted us to take these principles and apply, um, apply them to probably the most sensitive and difficult issue that we face as Americans. I know that excites all of us. We get really pumped up here, but I want you to trust me on this. I can testify that what we're going to talk about is good. I'm not going to say it's not challenging, but I am going to tell you it is good. And we're going to base it out of a text. Paul writing to followers of Jesus, very similar to us just 20 centuries ago in his second letter to the church at Corinth. So I hope you get a Bible, I hope you have a Bible, and you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Now, if you're part of our online family, part of live.beltway.org, live there's a Bible icon you can turn there. Love being with you online family. Physical campuses, north and south campus, always there's a Bible underneath the chair in front of you or underneath your chair. We're on page 968 in that Bible. Now, as you're finding the passage, and the reason I want you to find it is, I'm going to encourage you to read not just the verses that we'll talk about this morning, this coming week, but I want you to read, I know this is getting radical, two chapters. <sighs> it's probably like eight minutes of your life. I get it. Could be tough. Two chapters. Chapters 8 and chapters 9 of 2 Corinthians. Now, as you get to the text, we're going to look at two verses. I want to ask you a couple, a, a few questions. Make a few statements. These are common thoughts in the church and in our society. And I need you to assess, be honest with yourself, do I think that is true or false? Do I think it is truth or do I think it is a lie? Like question number one, as a Christian, money should be seen as insignificant. True or false? Just answer in your head. 
You don't have to go out loud. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to write it down. Just participate. Do you think that's true or false? Question number two. More money is what makes a person truly rich. Some of you are going, duh. Is that true or is it false? Number three. You can't take it with you. True or false? Number four. Money can't bring happiness. True or false? Now, I'm looking at some of you feeling it at the North Campus online. Some of you aren't participating because you think I'm setting you up. So ah, you're doing something here. I want you to listen carefully to me. I am setting you up. From what I can see in Scripture, every statement I just gave to you is false. And before you dismiss me as a heretic who really doesn't know the scripture, I want to do the radical and I want to get to our text. And I want you to look at it, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, where the apostle says the point is this. So for a chapter and a half, the apostle has been talking about this thing called money. And he's summarizing it here in chapter uh, 9, verse 6 to the end of the chapter. And he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to also reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you'll also reap bountifully. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, as soon as we hit this word, give, and the word giver, we got all uptight. We got intense and tensed up and such. A struggle internally began to ensue. Hear me, I get that. Don't misunderstand me. I don't mind talking about giving in one sense. I love to give. I believe in giving. I have seen Jesus unlock so much in my life through the principle of generosity. My struggle is not with the word give. My struggle, believe it or not, to be honest, raw, and vulnerable, my struggle is you. See, some of us struggle with this word, and that is natural to have struggles in our lives. My struggle, again, doesn't tend to be there. My struggle is with the idea that I just like people to like me. The lie that I can believe is that the more people like me, the more people want to engage in what I am a part of, then the more valuable I am, the more worthwhile I am. So to be really honest with you, I didn't want to preach this message. I, I didn't want to do it. Again, not because I have any struggle with the verse, but because I have a struggle with the perceptions people might have because I know what people think when we address this issue. All you people in the church want to do is you want to talk about money and giving, giving and money, money and giving. I can look back on the sermons that I've written over 23 years, and I know that's not true. That's not anywhere close to all we talk about. We talk about more than money, but you know what hit me this week? We do talk about giving a lot. Like we talk about it every week. See, I, I, it hit me this week reading another pastor that I can't talk about God's love with talk, without talking about giving for the scripture says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I can't talk about the grace of God with talk, without talking about giving because James tells us that God gives us more grace. How many of us need more grace? You'd all raise your hands. You need it. Grace upon grace. I can't even talk about something like marriage without talking about giving because the scripture implores us, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. We talk about giving each and every week because the foundation, the essence of the Christian faith, all the hope we have, the abundant life we have, it all goes back to giving. It goes back to God giving to us. Hear me, we are going to spend all of eternity 
being overwhelmed at the generosity that God has towards us as his children. So why is it that we struggle? Knowing how generous God is with us, knowing that we celebrate it in our worship, knowing that we appreciate it so much, why do we struggle when the scripture implores us to look at giving and money and generosity? Could it indicate there's a stronghold? Remember, at first to flip the script, we talk about that there are strongholds. Those strongholds are in our minds. They are lies that we tend to believe. And could it be through the culture that we have, our culture that has so many positives to it, but there are some negatives. And I promise you, when it comes to money, what our culture holds to about money is opposite of what the Scripture holds to. And it, could it be that there's a stronghold that the Lord wants to bring to light that we can attack the stronghold and we take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ because that's going to bring life. What if that which is holding us back into the things we long for and desire for in Christ Jesus is tied to this thing called money? Would that not be worth the journey? See, if you look at the end of verse 7, it ends with these words, God loves a cheerful giver. Have you wondered why that is? Why, why does God care what we give? I mean, think about it. From what I can tell, God's not broke. He, he doesn't really need our money in any form or fashion. He's not living paycheck to paycheck. He doesn't have some sort of debt that he's trying to get out from under. In fact, God himself says in the scripture, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I wouldn't come to you. Because the world and all its fullness is mine. See, God doesn't love a cheerful giver because he has a need that somehow he needs us to meet. He alone, among all that exists in reality, is sufficient in and of himself. He needs nothing from anyone in life. See, God loves a cheerful giver, not because he has a need, but because I have a need. Listen. Say it this way, God loves a cheerful giver because he's the greatest of fathers. And good fathers, good mothers, you know what they want? They want their kids to get it. When they get the truths that lead to the fullness of life, parents love it. One of the joys of my life of being a bit older, emphasis on the bit older, okay? Not a whole lot older, a bit older. Don't put any dirt on my grave yet, not quite there. But I have grown children. And one of the joys of my life, what I love, is to watch my children walk in the truths their mother and I work so hard to impart to them. They're not doing it under compulsion. They're not doing it because they have to. They get it. And I love it that they get it and doing things that lead to life. They're not doing it in perfection by any means. None of us are. But, but they're there. There were days when they were growing up, I didn't think they were ever going to get it. I mean, there were sometimes I'd look at my wife and say, baby, I don't think we raise very smart kids. Um, they just didn't seem to be grabbing hold of stuff. And you went, there were days, let's just be honest, I didn't think they were going to make it to the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I brought you into the world, kids. I'm going to take you out, right? I'm done. But then they grow up, and I watch them now as they are with their spouses and they're with their kids. I watch and hear the stories of them in the workplace, in their relationships with other people, the way they're walking out their faith. And I love it. It brings joy because they're living out life-giving truths, not under compulsion, not because somebody's making them do that, because they bring life. I mean, I've had the nature of our relationship change. My adult children have actually confronted me on things that I need in my life. Shocking, isn't it? It shocked me when it happened. <laughs> and once I got over the initial response of pride, 
You know, like, who do you think you are confronting me? I'm dad. I'm the patriarch of the family. Once I got over that, the truths they brought to my life were life-giving. And it brought me joy because of the way they did it. Speaking the truth in love. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? You don't have to have grown children for that to be the case. When you've been trying to teach your preschooler to say thank you when they get something, and finally they're at that birthday party, and somebody gives them something, and they look up not under compulsion, not because you make them, but they sincerely th say thank you. You're like, oh, Maybe we're doing something right here. Maybe we got a shot in life, right? Come on, every parent is there. Every parent loves it when we see our children living out truths that we know will lead to good things in their lives. This is why God loves a cheerful giver. He longs for us to have abundance. Everything Jesus died for, he wants us to have. He longs for us to have the very best in life. And believe it or not, more than we want to believe, that's tied to money. Listen to me, money is more significant in the life of a believer than we really know. We don't want to admit it, we don't want to confess to it, we want to pretend it's not, but money is far weightier, far more connected to our faith journey than most of us want to believe. Jesus, in the scripture, we have 38 of his teaching stories called parables. Of 38 of those, 16 have to do with money. If you look at the New Testament, you take all the verses that talk about heaven and hell, combine them, and the New Testament talks more about money than it does heaven and hell combined. You look at the totality of Scripture, take all the Scriptures that talk about prayer. There are five times as many verses on money than there is about prayer. I'm not trying to minimize the importance of prayer and heaven and hell or anything like that. I'm just telling you, money is a significant issue in life, and Jesus told us the reason it is significant. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart, notice, will be also. See, if I had asked you this morning, North Campus, South Campus, online, family, how many of you want your heart to be more and more after God? We would all raise our hand. It's just the kind of thing you raise your hand to in church. I get it, but I know it's deeper than that. I mean, why would you take the time to be present? Present online, present in our physical campus, why would you invest your time if at some level you didn't want more of your heart to go after God because you know that the abundant life Jesus wants to bring in our life is gonna come after our hearts run after him. That's why we are engaging today. And notice what Jesus says. If you want your heart to be somewhere, what do you do? You put your treasure there as well. Jesus is clear, our heart follows our money. You see, Everything in creation, God created for our good. Listen to that. Everything in creation, God created for our good. There is nothing that is created that is not good. You say, well, David, what about? See, it's not about creation. It's about man's heart and what man's heart does with created things. That's where the issue is. You pick any, sub, any, sub, any issue of reality, God made it for our good. That includes money. God created money for our good, but man's heart tends to use things to make them a substitute for God. We take created things and we replace the creator with the created. And we do this nowhere more commonly than with money. Like, we look to money to provide us security. I mean, think about it. Let's say today I had the capacity to give each one of you, let's pick a good number, a million dollars. It's a good day at church, isn't it? Yeah. 
How many of you would feel, don't raise your hand, how many of you would feel secure with the thought you have a million dollars? It's like you're setting us up. I am. Doesn't take a million dollars. There's, there's social scientists that have done surveys on future and security and feelings of security, and they've asked people, how much money would it take for me to feel secure about the future? And people have consistently said, if I had double what I have now, I would feel secure. So average household income in America is like $62,000, I think, right now. So basically, if I had $125,000 next year, I would feel secure. But the problem is when somebody has a household income of $300,000, then their number is $600,000. When do you think that ends? Social scientists have not found the number yet. There were studies done of the uber wealthy. Uber wealthy are people who have 50 million or more in assets. Ask people who had 75 million. 75 million. Let that sink in. 75 million. How much you would need to feel secure? You know what the number was? $150 million. You have $75 million and you don't feel secure. See, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, poor babies. They're struggling so much. Here, let me do something for you. I will just take that struggle off your hands. You give me your $75 million and I will wrestle to feel secure. Because all of us think if I had $75 million, I would feel secure. Because there's a lie that's perpetuated in our mind. It's a stronghold that money can bring security and it cannot. Only God can bring security. We tend to trust money to give us value and worth. We think the more money I have, the more valuable I am, which is interesting given the fact that value is not determined by what you have. Value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for someone or something. God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to me. He loves a cheerful giver because the act of generosity is a declaration. You know, declarations are these things where we speak truth. Sometimes we do that with our words. Sometimes we do that with our actions. But it, Giving in generosity is declaration that God alone is my source of security today, tomorrow, and always. That's why verse 6 of our text says, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. But if you sow generously, guess what? God will give to you sparingly. We know that God's going to take care of things today, tomorrow, and always. Generosity is a declaration that my worth isn't found in how much I have, but how much the Father paid. He paid the largest price that has ever been paid for anything. There could be no greater price paid for anything than what was paid for you and for me in Jesus Christ. That is where my worth is and when we are generous and we are growing in that generosity over time as, it will, as you will find out in chapter eight that we are excelling in this grace of giving. It means we are getting the truths that lead to life. And when we're getting the truths that lead to life, it means that the Father can unlock more into our lives. The Father is waiting for our hearts to be developed in such a way that he can give us all that he wants to give us. He can entrust us with more. Look at verse, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. Some of your translations will say you will be made rich in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, in most of our minds, there's only one way to be rich. Money, 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 money. I have to have more money. But does not this verse seem to state that there's more than one way to be rich? You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And just in case you think this verse is nebulous and really doesn't say that, listen to the words of Jesus who said, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, money, 
Who will trust you with true riches? But the inverse would be true as well. If you're trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, there are things that God's going to impart to you that you can get no other way. Having more money will not make you rich, but using money the way God wants you to will make us truly rich. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver because it means he can give to his kids what he longs for us to have. True riches. See, God has facets of his kingdom that he wants to entrust to us that have hearts that are able to steward all that he wants to give us. And he's using money as a tool to shape our hearts so that we can trust him in life. See, God loves a cheerful giver because he wants his kids to live with joy. I mean, come on. Sally's story made you happy, didn't it? It gave you joy. It's like we love to see things like that. Why? Because Jesus said it, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Money, when we use it the way God wants, can bring happiness. People say money can't buy happiness. I disagree. If you use it the way God wants, it can bring happiness. Paul told a leader in the early church to do this, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me stop right there. If you are an American, the vast, vast majority of us are rich. You go, no, 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 dude, those uber wealthy people, 75 mil, that's rich. I'm like everyday guy. But according to world standards, the vast, vast majority of Americans are rich. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I don't, I don't make it to, uh, in any way to say things to change. I'm just saying this verse is for us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. So some of the material things we have, God gives to us so we can enjoy it. I mean, here is a reality that when we use the material things that God has given to us with gratitude for God, that gives the Father joy that we are able to do that. See, I'll be honest with you. I like my house. I enjoy it. I enjoy air conditioning in the summertime in West Texas. Come on. I enjoy heat in the wintertime. Some of you understand what it's like to be without heat because of last February uh, during Snowmageddon, you say you were crying out to God, give me some heat in my house, right? I love heat. I love to travel. I love to scuba dive the places I've gone all over the world. I love to hunt. Now, I'm not doing it on Sunday of opening day of deer season like some. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sure they're online after they've been in the deer stand, right? I love to hunt. I like clean clothes. There's so many things God has blessed me with material that I enjoy them so much. That's what God wants to do. When we, are, when we live in gratitude for God, what he's given us, he loves for us to enjoy that in life. But it's nowhere close to my greatest joy. Because Paul goes on and says, command them, the rich in this present world, which is us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. When we give from what God has given to us, when we're living in this thing called generosity, it brings a deep joy into our life, and he wants us to have it. See, guys, I didn't give the car that showed God's love to Sally. I've given a car before and it brought me a lot of joy, but I didn't give this car. But you know what I did do? I have invested in the church that has the auto ministry. This church. 
And I love the fact that our men and our women in our auto ministry will take cars from people, some of which are not in the best of shapes. They need some work, but if they have some love and some attention, they have some parts put on them, some work done, all of a sudden they become a good car. And I love the fact that we could share God's love in a practical way with somebody who needs it. How many of you discovered that in Abilene in our region, you need a car to do life? I'm not in any way saying that anything against our city. We just don't have a great public transportation system. Probably a region of our size and our population can't do that. So you need a vehicle, and we have men and women who are showing the love of God by helping them have. See, this wasn't the first car our auto ministry gave away. We're doing it all the time. Like, this is the 10th car we've given away this year. That car came from somebody. Our men and women worked on it, connected through our other ministries, somebody who needed it. And we got to show the love of God in a practical way. That brings me joy. But it's not just that. We have men and women who are trying as much as possible to open up a little garage. And that garage just works on people's cars because people's cars break down. But you need a car to do life in Abilene. You need to take your kids to school. You need to get work back and forth. And sometimes working on cars is expensive. And our guys and our gals are making that happen and showing the love of Jesus in that. And I get to be part of that. I love that. The only thing that's keeping us from working on more people's cars, we need more people. People with a skill set, Okay. If you, like, don't know what a wrench is, don't show up, okay? But some of you have a skill set, and this is a way you can be generous in good deeds. You can be part of the team. I get if you're not really good at it. I actually worked on cars through college. The people I worked for said, you need to keep going to college, okay? And so our, our, our garage ministry is like, look at me. It's like, Pastor, we love you, and we think you're awesome at what you do. Just don't come and do what we do. We will do what we do, you do what we do, what you do, and we will be great together. But some of you need to be a part of it. In the park news, it's going to pop up online, part of our online campus. There's a way that you can become involved. And we can tell you the details without overwhelming you. You get to be a part of that. I mean, come on. Being part of stories like Sally's story, all the stories we get to tell around here, they bring joy and happiness to our lives. This week, I was at a banquet for one of our partner ministries. And this partner ministry in Abilene takes women who have found themselves in situations in life and for choices that they've made, they found themselves in prison. When they're getting out of prison, they need something to help them make a change so they can live the life the way they want, need to live life. This ministry takes them in, helps them not just get on their feet, but talk about a new life that you can find in Jesus Christ. When I went to that banquet, I think they told 10 stories Ten testimonies of women whose life have been utterly transformed by this ministry. I just sat on the front row and wept like a baby. We were part of it. I was part of it. I invested. That brings joy to my life. My wife and I love to give. Outside of Beltway, which we love to give to, we have 12 partner ministries. They send us stories all the time. And every time one of their stories come in, it brings joy to my life. I think I'm part of that story. I'm part of that story. God's taking something as temporal as money. When I say temporal, I'm not meaning insignificant. I'm just saying in heaven, there's no indication we'll have money. We won't need it. So God's taking something that's temporary, significant now, and he's taking it. And the money that he gives me that I give under his direction, he uses it to bring hope, life, and joy into people's lives. What a privilege that is. And he wants to unlock more of that in our lives. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. And if that were not enough... The scripture goes on to say that in this way, when we are generous, people will lay up for a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for what? The coming age. 
See, I, I understand that we preachers love to say, hey, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. True, but you can send it ahead. I've got a savings account in heaven. I've been storing things up in heaven, by the way. I'm using my resources. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Moth and rust will destroy that. Thieves will break in and steal it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust cannot touch it. Thieves cannot break, up, break in and steal. We cannot take it with us, but hear me, we can do something better. We can send it ahead. We're going to unpack that a bit more next week and how important that is for you and I. For today, let me wrap it up with a question. You ready? Are you willing to let God flip the script in your mind when it comes to money, giving, and generosity? I know. It's about as personal as I can get, isn't it? I understand the struggle. I understand the wrestle. I, I really do get it. It, it took a lot of God's grace. I, I argued with God for two weeks over these messages. Like, I planned my messages back in the summer for a year, and this seemed like a great idea when I didn't have to do it. But then when I got up to it, it was like, God, we've just been through a pandemic. We did all this. I just be honest, God, I'm tired. And when you put the word of God in you, God brings stuff to you. And there's a verse in the book of Jeremiah. Book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is doing basically what I did, whining about something God wanted him to do. And he said, Jeremiah, if you grow tired running with men, how are you ever going to run with horses? That means God has something more for us than what we think is naturally possible. And I heard the Lord say that, and I said, Lord, I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful. I want you to hear my heart. I know it's a difficult topic. I want you to have everything God has for you. See, I, I know there's a reality. Listen to me. I understand we take offerings here at Beltway Park. And I cannot with integrity say that what I'm saying has nothing to do with what we do here. But I would like to believe, I believe as I check my heart, I can say it's secondary. The primary thing is I want God to have everything in our heart to unlock everything he wants to do inside of you. In fact, I can do this. The elders have agreed if you're having trouble listening to what I'm saying about the truths of God's word because you think it's totally connected to giving at Beltway, would you please take Beltway out of the equation? Just don't give here. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in what God wants to do through us, but just take that out of the equation. It is a secondary motive. It is not the primary motive. God just wants to unlock generosity. See, money is this tool that God wants to do something to unlock things in our heart to bring greater riches in our lives, to bring true riches into who we are. So here's my question. Am I willing to allow God to flip the script in this area? Most of us said in the series, God, I want you to flip the script in every area you need to flip the script. So let's just pick the hardest, one of the hardest. And let's ask God, am I willing to do that? Because I believe, hear me, I believe that he is so radically for us. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. He is so radically for us, he wants the very best for us in life. And he wants to take something as daily and mundane as money that's been lifted up as an idol. He wants to bring it down in our hearts to the right place and use it well 
so he can unlock everything he has for us. So let's do this. Both campuses online right now. Not only, just bow your heads. We're going to wrap this up. You can relax right now, okay? Because there's not anything you're going to have to do for the rest of the service, okay? So there's not another offering coming. I don't have a commitment card for you to sign. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, okay? I'm just asking everyone to let God flip the script. Ask the Father, are you believing lies when it comes to this thing called money? It'd be hard to be an American and not believe these lies. I mean, we're raised with them. These things called commercials that are so every day, they perpetuate a lie again and again. And just tell God right now, God, I'm willing. I don't know what it all is right now, but I'm willing. If you're willing. Or if it's God, I don't know that I'm willing. Make me willing. I want to trust enough to be willing. I get that. Two practical things I would ask you to consider. Number one, don't quit engaging. I mean, it'd be easy this week to say, I didn't know what you were preaching on this week, but I do next week. So I'll disappear for a couple more weeks and I'll show back up at Christmas. I bet it's different then. And it will be. But if your tendency is to want to shy away from this topic, ask yourself why. Why would we shy away from anything when God's word speaks about it so much? It's telling us something. Let's don't shy away. Let's don't back away. I charge you to keep engaging. Two more weeks. The second thing, practically, you can do, take every scripture we talked about today. They're all in your park news or in the notes. They're online. There's things like that. Just take the scriptures and read them this week. And say, God, show me where I'm believing lies. Show me where your truth lies when it goes, comes to money, giving, and generosity. And let the Father do a work in your heart and life. Let him take down strongholds. Let him show lies. Let him bring truth. And you are going to discover some things about God you never knew existed. Father, I, we love you. We really do. Some things are harder for us than others. But we don't want to keep any facet of our lives away from you. So we ask, oh God, do a work in our hearts. We give you the totality of our hearts and minds, and we ask you, God, show us where we're believing lies. We want truth. If we abide in your word, you have said, then you will know the truth. And this truth will set you free. And the sun sets you free. You are free indeed. We want to walk free indeed in everything. I know, Father, from my own life, from the lives of so many people, this is a stronghold in many of us. But we ask that by the authority of the name of Jesus, you would begin to cast down this stronghold. That you would take captive in us every thought and we bring it under to the obedience of Christ. We declare, oh God, that you and you alone are our source of security. No amount of money will ever provide what our hearts long for. You and you alone are our source of worth our place of identity, our place of acceptance and love. We want to turn to you and anything we are using to try to find what only you can provide, we ask that you would bring it down and put it in its right spot in our hearts and lives. Do that with this thing we call money. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.